There are things that we care about. And our goal is to see why is this to someone's benefit? How is it going to be a win for them? And then just to communicate that clearly and concisely, not with a gimmick, but with communication that actually sets up this connection in a way that they genuinely are intrigued. Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is CK Len. Noble Warrior is where I interview entrepreneurs about their journey when they took a leap of faith to find their second calling. If you have any friends who grapple with finding their second calling, maybe they need more emotional support. Maybe they're overwhelmed. Maybe they have imposter syndrome. Maybe they want tactical help with what to say or what to do. Maybe they want a roadmap to help discover the life they didn't know they dream of. Please share this episode with them. Thank you for it. My next guest is Sam Horn. Sherry Salata, Oprah's executive producer, said Sam is one of the brightest lights and most accessible wisdom sharer in our culture today. Her three TEDx talks and nine books have been featured in New York Times on NPR and presented to Cisco, Intel, Fidelity, NASA, Nationwide, and National Geographic. She's known as the intrigue expert. We talked about how she can predict if someone is getting a book deal without hearing the pitch, how to get a book publisher's attention in a conference under 60 seconds, and the exact framework and exact pitch she taught a social entrepreneur to win millions of dollars in funding under 60 seconds. For those who are in transition, she shared the 4-8 framework, avocation, ability, adversity, and attention to help you figure out your meaningful next and how to write a book under 20 days, your fingers won't be able to keep up. We also talked about living a self-sacrificing life versus living a life of ikigai, the reason to wake up to in the morning. We talked about how a professor, when she was 18, taught her a simple exercise that helped her eliminate any future indecisions about life's toughest choices. Please enjoy my conversation with the intrigue expert, Sam Horn. My next guest is Sam Horn. Oprah's executive producer said, Sam is one of the brightest lights and most accessible wisdom sharers in our culture today. She's a three-time TED speaker, a nine-time book author. She's known as the intrigue expert. She helps entrepreneurs, authors, and organizations to create one-of-a-kind brands, businesses, books, and presentations and pitches. If you want to follow up with Sam afterwards, go to intrigueagency.com forward slash pop masterclass. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, CK. Looking forward to jumping in. Yeah. So I want to go into it right away. You're known as the intrigue expert, and most people come to you for tactical advice to create intrigue about the pitch, the book, or the business, and so forth. Personally, for me, the more I speak to you, the more I found you to be intriguing because you have multi-dimensions outside of just your mastery around creating intrigue. You have presence, you have the depth. Can you say a little bit more about how you cultivated this multi-dimensionality that you had? I'm happy to. You know, I bet you know Simon Sinek who started with Start With Why, and good for Simon, he's made a, a difference for millions of people. And I think if we start with why, sometimes we end up being generic. And I believe mm -hmm. in starting with where. 
where did we become a person on a mission about this? Where did we begin to care? So I'll share my where story of how this all got started. Sound like a plan? Yes, let's go. Okay. I think, you know, I helped start and run the Maui Writers Conference for 17 years. Kind of what can is to the film industry, Maui Writers Conference was to the publishing industry. We did something that was unprecedented at the time. You could jump the chain of command and pitch your screenplay right to Ron Howard. You could pitch mm. your novel to the head of, of St. Martin's Press, Simon & Schuster. However, that first day of those pitch meetings, a woman walked out with tears in her eyes. And I went over, I said, are you okay? And she said, I'm not okay. I just saw my dream go down the drain. And I said, mm. well, what happened? And she said, I put my 300 page manuscript on the desk and the agent took one look at it and said, I don't have time to read that. Tell me in 60 seconds what your book is about and why someone would want to read it. And she said, my mind went blank. She said, I spent three years on this project. There's no way I can get it across in 60 seconds. And I talked to Bob Loomis that night. He was senior VP of Random House's clients or Maya Angelou. And I said, Bob, what's going on? And he said, Sam, we've seen thousands of proposals. He said, we make up our mind in the first 60 seconds whether something is commercially viable. Mm. And CK, I stood in the back of the pitch rooms the next day and I could predict who was going to get a deal without hearing a word being said. And it was all based on one thing. Guess what it was? Their eyebrows. That's right. Yay. You got it. See, it was, I, I, I did my homework. So yeah. it's a little <laughs> cheating because I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing is that everyone, everyone listening, you can test your idea. You can test your pitch. You can test your presentation, your book title, your product name in less than 60 seconds. Just tell it to someone and watch their eyebrows because if their eyebrows crunch up like this, it means they didn't get it. And if they didn't get it, you won't get what you want because confused people don't say yes. Now, if their eyebrows don't move, it means they're unmoved or they've had Botox. <laughs> now, like you, CK, if the eyebrows go up, that means they're intrigued, they're curious, they wanna know more. And that means we just got what we cared about in their mental door. So that's how I became the intrigue expert. We're going to replace infobesity with intrigue. So anytime we're communicating with someone and we want them to care about what we care about, we know how to get their eyebrows up. So it has a chance. So Sam, I have a loving challenge for you. And let me push oh. back just a bit, a little bit. Okay. Cause yeah. Simon Sinek, cause there are a lot of different schools of thought, right? Simon Sinek says they start with why, like what's the fire within you have the other person be touched more inspired by this why. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then Oren Claft, he's all about like, what's it, what's in it for them? Like what is lead with the big dollar sign? Cause he's a, you know, pitch coach for sure. entrepreneurs and so forth. Yeah. What you're saying, start with intrigue. I am aligned with you. It feels more congruent for me personally, but I just don't think that way. So if you can maybe articulate and compare and con contrast different approaches to essentially rise above in a noisy world, because the world is noisy. You, everyone's vying for your attention and I like your approach a lot. Can you compare and contrast your approach to other schools of thought? 
You bet. And CK, I think one of the reasons you and I connect is because I don't believe in formulas, like always do it this way. This is the best way. This is the only way, you know, my way or the highway. There's a lot of different ways to get people's attention in the first 60 seconds, <laughs> as long as we do. So we're going to share some of them in our time together. Here's just one, one way we can turn infobesity into intrigue in 60 seconds. So I think you know the story is that I was the pitch coach for Springboard Enterprises. They've helped women entrepreneurs get more than 10 billion in funding. This is Robin Chase of Zipcar, Gail Goodman of Constant Contact. So Kathleen Callender was one of my clients and she came to me and she said, Sam, I've got good news and I've got bad news. I said, well, what's the good news? She said, I'm pitching before a room full of investors at the Paley Center in New York. I said, that's fantastic news. I said, what's the bad news? She said, I only have 10 minutes and I'm going at 2.30 in the afternoon. And I said, Kathleen, you don't have 10 minutes. They will have heard 16 presentations before yours. Their eyes are gonna be glazed over. You have 60 seconds to prove you're worth listening to. Well, this is the 60 second opening we came up with that not only got her millions in funding, she was Business Week's most promising social entrepreneur of that year. So. Ready? We're going to hit the ground running. You can time me if you want, CK. Let's okay? go. Let's All go. right. Did you know there are 1.8 billion vaccinations given every year? Did you know up to a third of them are given with reused needles? Did you know we're spreading and perpetuating the very diseases we're trying to prevent? Imagine if there were a painless one-use needle for a fraction of the current cost. You don't have to imagine it. We're doing it and she's off and running. Are your eyebrows up, CK? Mm -hmm. Okay, now you use the word contrast. Let's contrast that to how she used to open up her presentation or her pitch and how most people answer when someone says, what do you do? We tell them, right? That's, that's an explanation. And explanations are infobesity. They're often complex, confusing. They lose people at hello. So here's the three steps to what she did. And I hope unless someone's driving, they grab paper and pen right now. Think of a project coming up. It could be a meeting. It could be you're, you want a partner um, you know, for your startup. It could be you're looking for funding. It could be that whatever. Think of a situation. Step one, what are three did you know questions you can ask about the problem they're solving, about the issue they're addressing, about the need they're meeting. What are startling statistics where people would be going, I didn't know it was that bad. I didn't know it was that much. I didn't know the trend was getting worse. And in case you're thinking, where do I find these startling statistics? You GTS that stuff. You Google that stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't care what industry you're in. Right after CK and I talk, just put into search, what are startling statistics about what? The pharma industry, about your cause, about your issue, about your problem. Up will come things even you don't know. And if you don't know them, chances are your decision makers won't know them. Now you just earn their attention because they're smarter than they were 30 seconds ago. Ready for the second step? Let's do it. Okay. One word. Imagine. Imagine this and this and this. Because the word imagine pulls people out of their preoccupation because now they're picturing your point. 
they're seeing what you're saying. Now link the word imagine to three benefits of whatever it is you're proposing, three advantages, uh, three features. So go back to Kathleen Callender. We put ourselves in the minds of our decision makers. What are they thinking about? Well, they're probably thinking about those reused needles. So we made it one use. They're probably thinking about those painful inoculations. So we made it painless. And most decision makers care about money. So we made it a fraction of the current cost. CK, in a world of infobesity, we distilled into one succinct sentence of who wouldn't want that. So everyone listening, the second step is imagine this and this and this so that your decision makers are thinking, sounds good. Mm. Ready mm. for the third step? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Mm. You don't have to imagine it. We're doing it. Now you come in with your evidence and your precedence to show this isn't pie in the sky. This isn't speculative. You and your team are doing it. Or here's an endorsement from someone they know and respect. Or here's an article in a reputable magazine or newsletter or interview in a podcast or uh, you know, a thought leader who is endorsing this because everyone else is still telling people what they're going to tell them. Meanwhile, you have turned a monologue into a dialogue. You yeah. have posed this problem and your innovative solution and given some proof or evidence that once again, this is a done deal and they can trust it all in 60 seconds. Mm. I, I, as you're speaking, a few things open up in my mind. I, mm -hmm. I really think so. So there's a term called peacocking. I don't know mm -hmm. if you heard this before. Basically, yes, yeah, people would just do some gimmick as a, you know, maybe a, like a bow tie thing or something as a way to capture people's attention. Right. Oh. But it's very gimmicky. Hmm. Whereas this is very subtle. You open loops in people's mind with questions and questions. No one can resist. <laughs> I don't care who you are. You ask a question, your brain automatically goes to work. So you go bam, bam, bam with questions and then you answer them with backupable, uh, evidence. In, an, in a very short amount of time, um, you know, you, you you open loops and you also create more intrigues there. That's what showed up in my mind during your speaking. And I think this very elegant, it's very, um, very subtle versus the peacocking approach of really shock and awe statistics or some bold statement that they have to unwind to back it up. That's what I got. Oh, I see great. I'm so glad you said that because uh, no thank you to the gimmicks, right? It is, uh, I think both of us genuinely want to have impact on people. There are things that we care about and our goal is to see why is this to someone's benefit? How is it going to be a win for them? And then just to communicate that clearly and concisely, not with a gimmick, but with communication that actually sets up this connection in a way that they genuinely are intrigued. They genuinely are envisioning doing this, buying this, using this and how it will benefit them. And so that's, it's just mindful communication that creates a win so that we're time well spent. We cut to the chase. We edit out the parts people skip and, and we end up with a mutually rewarding, beneficial connection and conversation. So I want to drill in on the first point about the outlandish, you know, or very surprising data. Yeah. 
if it's so outlandish, then it's not believable. People check out. But if it's so close to what they know already, people also check out. There's yeah. a sweet spot somewhere, like it's mm -hmm. a little bit outside of the believability. Yeah. But it's still like stretching, like I hope it's true, right? That kind of tension, right? So as someone who is originating the idea, these stats are old news for me because I'm I'm a quote unquote expert. I have the the curse of the expert. Then how do I go about finding you know the nugget that's at that sweet spot of stretching the imagination, stretching the uh, believability, but it's still not so far out there. People dismiss it right away. Uh, boy, you just keep these questions coming, CK. So uh, number one is that we cite our store, our source. Correct. It's like because people make these claims, and as you say, if it sounds. Um, too good to be true, then we doubt it. We question it. We just lost trust. So we always start. Did you see the 2021 April issue of Harvard Business Review? Did you see that New England Journal of Medicine said this? Did you see on the on? So we cite our source. And the second thing, you, ca you came up with a sweet spot of a statistic. It can't be old news because that's an eye roller. You know, that's like, bye bye. You're wasting my time. And so how do you come up with them? Recency equals relevancy. So when we are looking for these statistics, these studies, these research, you know, something that just happened two months ago adds relevancy and recency and urgency to our pitch. So do we say, did you see the study just two months ago? Do you see already the eyebrows are up because, oh, it's mm. recent, so it's more relevant. John Cotter out of Harvard said, do you know the number one prerequisite for change? Go ahead. A sense of urgency. Mm. So you just asked a key question because if we're coming up with statistics, once again, that show it's getting worse, that it's costing more, that it doesn't need to be killing this many people, that people don't need to be suffering here, and it's recent, you are packing in urgency and relevancy and immediacy in a way that people are more compelled to act. Mm. So how do you, as an expert, again, because you read tons of news and research and data and reports, how do you pick up the juiciest thing? How do you filter it down to the thing that the stat is going to be? Wow. Right hook. And, and see, I recommend three stats and we want scope because we just don't want money, 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 because maybe our decision makers, maybe that's their top priority. Maybe market share is their priority. Maybe number of people being affected, maybe competitive edge is what. So we deliberately have one statistic about money, cost more, you know, uh, whatever. We have one about the numbers of people being impacted. We, we maybe have one about the trend in the industry that that contrary to what people leave, it's not this, it's this mm. <laughs> supported by this research. Mm. It, it could be a contrarian, counterintuitive. You ask, what do people believe or know to be true? Now, mm. how can I introduce something that flies in the face of that? Because it's another very quick way to get people's attention is when we let them know that what they've been told, what they've been taught, what they've been thinking, doing, or using actually is is out of date it's not working anymore and there's a new better way 
Mm. And now we've got another 60 second opening because once again, this is a buffet of ideas. It's not do that all the time. There's differences. Want to hear another one? Well, before you do that, put that, put that idea on a, on a pin first. So okay. what I heard, I, I'm loving this. What I heard is speaking about money, speaking about making a difference in people's lives, speaking about uh, industry trends. Uh, these are um, things that decision makers all care about. Basically, you can cast a much wider net when you have these things um, that most people, most decision makers, entrepreneurs, leaders, they care about these things. Yeah. Good, good for you for coming up almost with the listicle of criteria. You're saying, Sam, okay, if I'm going to go to Google and put in what are startling statistics, what are other questions that I can ask that will bring up things that I'm not aware of that would have that immediacy? And what else should I search for? One of the things we're looking for is where are you first of your kind? Where are you inventing something, introducing something that hasn't been done before? Because first to market owns the market, right? You know, enterprise is a wonderful example of this is that, you know, years ago when they wanted to enter the car rental agency, Avis and Hertz had like 87% market share. They asked themselves two questions. What does everyone want that no one else offers? Well, everyone wanted to be picked up and dropped off. So they were first to offer that. Now, another question you ask yourself, what is everyone else doing? Don't do that. Mm. <laughs> Where was everyone else located? At the airports. So don't locate it. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to compete with them on their turf, literally and figuratively. Create your own turf. So they were the first to locate in neighborhoods. They did two things that made them first of their kind and one of a kind. Boom. Guess who owns the car rental agency market these days? Mm. Enterprise. Enterprise, yeah. That's right. So even if someone is going into a crowded market, even if you're competing against Amazon, if you're competing against Starbucks, someone who dominates the market, if you want a competitive edge, ask yourself those two questions. What is everyone else doing? Don't do that. And then what does everyone want that no one else is offering? And you're on your way to coming up with something that will stand out from the crowd instead of get lost in the crowd. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I know that Daybreaker is one of your clients, right? <laughs> and then what they did, I really like because it's totally unique because everyone's focusing on the nightclub scene, right? Uh, entertainment for the evenings. No one's paying attention to the mornings, at least not that I'm aware of, where they created a club type, you know, of high vibe, dance, energy, nutritious, juice, good people who... Like me, I'm more of a daytime guy. I'm not a nighttime guy. Yeah. So finally, I have a thing that I can go to. But it was a little weird in the beginning. Like, what is this thing that they're trying to do? I don't understand it. It took me a little while to actually get it. So being different is good. I get that. Anything else in terms of tactics to helping people pull out oh. their weirdness, their idiosyncrasies, their uniqueness, <laughs> all of that? Because I want to know, I want to know how I can make Noble Warriors stand out even more. Okay, we're going to flip the script. And I was just in New York last week, uh, on set consultant for Mind Valley, and with Radha Agrawal uh, filming her new series for Mind Valley. So here's the backstory. Let's go. Where did this begin? Right, because this is where your origin story is organic and original. 
people will not have heard it before. And when they know where you begin to care, that's when they begin to care and connect also. So uh, Radha Agrawal and Mickey Agrawal, who founded Thanks, uh, founded Tushy and so forth. Mickey's my daughter-in-law. They went out dancing at night in New York City. Well, the bouncers were a little frisky when they were frisking them. And they walked in and the place was dark and crowded and uh, everyone was wasted. And uh, it was almost bordering on violent. The, it was very aggressive energy. And Mickey and Rada talked about it on the way home. And it's like, what if it didn't have to be that way? Mm. What if there were a different way? So let's take the norms and let's do the opposite of the always. As you just said, CK, everyone dances at night, right? What's the opposite of that? The morning. The bouncers are really rude, right? What if you had a welcoming committee instead of a bouncer? It's like everyone's on some kind of substance. What if your substance was green juice? So they flipped the script. They did the opposite of the always. And now, you know, they've, they've done events for the day before uh, the White House. They opened for Oprah. Oh, look, you Amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, yeah. Michelle and Obama and uh, Barack were getting down to the That's tunes awesome. of Daybreaker. In fact, it was the last public event on the grounds of the White House. And this is kind of mm -hmm. how they partied out. And um, so and they, they have a wonderful deal with AARP, all because they saw a need in the marketplace that wasn't being filled. It was the opposite of the norm that a lot of people were unhappy about. No one was doing anything about it. And they they held the vision, not the circumstances. Of course, they were shut down last year because of COVID. They mm -hmm. pivoted and they're now virtual and they're thriving. Oh, amazing. I'm so glad to hear that because, uh, you know, I want to do a little dancing in the morning still. So I'm so glad they're virtual now. Yeah. Okay, can we say one more thing? Because I know that part of how you roll and what I hope we're doing for people is we're reverse engineering what works. We're not just sharing a story of someone who's a success. We go back to their where story about why they, you know, why they were motivated to do it, what happened, what they noticed that wasn't working, where they came up with this better way, this solution, invention, party service, whatever. So another thing, why, why that is so successful is because it has its finger on the pulse of the zeitgeist. Mm. You, know, you know all the science and the studies. Harvard says that the most important thing to our long-lasting health is meaningful relationships. Mm. Meanwhile, though, one in four people say they have zero people to confide in. Loneliness is an epidemic. Isolation, mm. depression are all epidemic. And Daybreaker is an answer to that with a community that gets people moving, that gets people in joy, that gets people feeling like they belong to something they care about. So, so to everyone listening or watching, it's like, all right, what's going on in the world? What's the zeitgeist? Is there research? So it's not just your opinion that this is wrong. There are studies that showing a lot of people are suffering from this. You know, are their health is being damaged. Their, their longevity is being damaged. Do you have a solution to that? Well, that's going to help you make a case for it too. Mm. This is actually a great segue into the next portion of the conversation because part of what you do is you love helping people figure out a meaningful next, mm -hmm. right? And then what we have just described how Daybreaker came up with their vision is by addressing what's missing the market or do a reversal of what they didn't like, 
right? Mm -hmm. But in the discovering process of discovering a meaningful next, the vision is sometimes not so clear. It's very amorphous. <laughs> You're like searching and trying to discover. And then you can also have, you know, people who are listening to this have a lot of different options. They have a lot of different interests, polymath, right? So they don't yeah. just think about the nightlife. <laughs> they think about their kids and think about their relationships and think about their health. Wow. So then how do you go about helping people discover the meaningful next? Well, it's, it's one of the great joys of my life. I get to work with people who just thrill me with what they're contributing to the world. You know, Pablo Picasso said that the purpose of life is to find our gifts and the meaning is to give them away. So I think our next, whether we just had a successful exit, whether we're just getting out of college and we have a degree in something and we're not quite sure what we want to do. This is just one of the systems. I use something called the four A's. And can I talk you through a couple of them? Please. I'm so at the edge of my seats. <laughs> okay. So here are the four A's. And if people want to ink it when they think it, which was the main takeaway from 17 years of Maui Writers Conference, just write down four columns on your notes. And the first A is avocation. What do you do when you're not working? Because see, maybe you can turn that into a career where the light is on in your eyes. Here's a quick example. I'm giving a workshop on a meaningful next and a woman comes up to me the, at the end. Her name was Jan Holman and she was the spokesperson for American Express. At that point, if you went on their website, there was Jan Holman giving financial advice. She wanted to go out on her own. However, you know, there's a lot of financial advisors out there. How could she possibly pop out in that very crowded pack? So I asked her one question. I said, what do you do when you're not working? And she said, I play golf. And I said, we're in business. <laughs> because, oh, if no. you, you know, so turn your paper over. Now put a vertical line down the center of your paper. And CK, you know how my mind works. I juxtapose everything because I think it is the quickest way to make a complex idea crystal clear. And it's the quickest way to show the shift. Mm. So. I asked Jan, okay, put a vertical line down the center. Now you want to talk and speak and write and have your own business around financial management, wealth management, et cetera. Now put golf on the left and put financial management on the right. Mm -hmm. Just start going into the lingo of golf. So let's see you, you know, you go to the club and then there's the course and then there's the tea and then there's the drive. And then do you see all of those are like little points in your book or little points in your, your, um, your, your presentation. It's uh, and then we are looking for a title for her work. And once again, we're looking for analogies. We're looking for something that's true with golf and something that's true about money so she is melding her personal and professional life. She's mm. blending her work and recreation. So she has the best of both worlds. She's levering her expertise and her hobby in a way that's going to make this very joyous next, right? Mm. It's also one of a kind because everyone just talks about money. What if you talked about golf and you talked about your caddy in a way is your financial advisor. And with your caddy, mm. They need to know the course, right? You need to be able to trust their advice. Uh, what's wrong with golf? Well, a lot of people try and hit the cover off the ball. 
Well, mm. a lot of people do that with investing too. And when it came to the title and we were going through the lingo of golf, we came to green, boom, there's the title. Ready? Go ahead. Go for the green. <laughs> Go for the green. Oh, Go for yeah. the green. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So that's avocation. The next one is ability. Uh, the next one is adversity. And the next one is attitude. And I have a whole series of questions where I talk people through their experience, their expertise, their epiphanies, so that they are, they are delving into their thought leadership. Now, how can we turn that into a business? How can we turn that into a book? How can we turn that into a nonprofit or a cause? So do you see, we don't abandon what we've done before. You know, you're bringing a lot to the table. You don't want to keep doing the same thing, but how can you adapt that in a way that gives you Ikigai? You know what Ikigai is? Well, I do, but please go ahead. <laughs> no, I want to hear your definition, CK. <laughs> CK, what's Ikigai, please? So Okinawa, Japan, they have a philosophy called Ikigai. Um, essentially, it's an intersection of four circles. Um, your ability, your passion, your monetization, and what was the fourth? Uh, what makes meaning in the world? Now, there are some debates about what does it actually mean? Does it need to be one thing? It could be many things as well. Anyways, longer conversation, but that's a short version of Ikigai. Wow, see, you gave a better definition than I did, <laughs> CK. And and I really hope, I know one of the one of the one of the ways you roll and the reasons you roll is to stop people in their tracks and help them live a Socrates life. You know, Socrates said an unexamined life is not worth living. And when it comes to Ikigai, is we stop and we look around at our life and we ask ourselves, is what I'm doing working, not working? You know, is, am I making the most of my talents? Am I making the most of my time? And Ikigai, in addition to what you said, can be defined as a reason to wake up in the morning. Mm. So what's your reason to wake up in the morning? You know, what gives your life purpose and meaning and momentum where you really feel this compelling sense of contribution that makes every day worth living. And, um, you know, the four A's are just one way that can help us come up with that. I love it. Yeah, what you just says is, is worthy of revisiting or really just, you know, steep into what you just said is very potent. To me, I know plenty of people who is very successful in the dollars, but very miserable in the day to day. Yeah. And they continue to want more of the dollars or the accolades or the social status or the social media following, you know, that they may have. But to me, that's a chase, right? That's very much like acting as a hungry ghost that, you know, you think having one chocolate is really good. Then having a hundred thousand chocolate must be even the most blissful <laughs> state, but that's just not the case. At some point, the satisfaction, you know, turns into negative. Anyways, without messing too much. See, no, actually, I hope people write down what you just said in, in six words. Well, it's not six words, seven words. Go ahead. More is not better. Now mm. is better. Mm. More is not better. Now is better. 
you know, you're what you're talking about, you know, is the hedonic treadmill, right? Mm -hmm. And the hedonic treadmill is based on the belief that more is better. When I have more fans, I'll be happy. When I become a New York Times bestseller, I'll be happy. When I um, get the perfect spouse, I'll be happy. And it sets us up for failure. <laughs> so part of my work in the Someday is Not a Day in the Week book is how to be wealthy and what matters right here and right now. Mm. Want to know one way we can do that, by the way? Of course. Let's get tactical. Let's go. <laughs> okay. It's um, when my sons were growing up, I was a single mom and I was jumping on planes a lot and giving presentations. And when I was home, we always had a ritual is I would tell them a story or I would read them a story and we I would give them back rub. And it's like not ordinary back rubs. It's uh, bumper car bump, uh, back rubs, <laughs> electricity back rubs and finger ring back rubs, chop awesome. doing back rubs. Amazing. I love it. <laughs> So one time though, CK, it's like I I was sitting right next to them and I was a million miles away in my mind because I was thinking, have I packed my handouts? What time is the plane? Is there gas in the car? Are they picking me up or do I need? And for some reason, my mind came down through my eyes and I saw Tom and Andrew as if for the first or last time. And an ordinary moment became extraordinary. And I was flooded with appreciation for them. I was, I was filled, suffused with this gratitude of the miracle of them and that I was their mother. And, and I bet every single one of us on a daily basis is distracted, preoccupied. We've got deadlines to meet. We've got projects to finish. We've got places to be. And as a result, sometimes we don't even see the people around us. And to see is to appreciate and to see as if for the first or last time is to be here and now instead of here, there and everywhere. Mm. And when we see someone or something as if for the first or last time, we are immediately filled with gratitude. And that is wealth and what matters right here, right now. Mm. I love it. You know, if you really think about how we live our day-to-day, -day. Uh, let me make it personal. How I live my day-to-day, -day. when I'm not conscious, I think this moment will last forever. Wow. Right? And But when I'm conscious, then I can really, as you said, you know, really treasure, really deepen this moment. Hey, Sam and I were sharing this moment that ne would never, ever be recreated again. How do I truly be here and treasure it? Because the next moment... She may choose to end this conversation, right? So, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but, other, you know, but even though I'm being half joking about it, it's that that's mm -hmm. if I can live my life truly that way, then I would ensure my presence, my listening, my, my appreciation, my gratitude towards you. And then only the kindest, most, my best words come out of my mouth rather than my lowest <laughs> yeah. word coming out of my mouth, right? Yeah. You know, CK, and, and uh, you know, so we're going to jump to when, when my sons went off to Virginia Tech, I had the talk with them. And I tried to distill everything I knew about life into two pieces of advice. Mm -hmm. And one was something based on something Charles Bukowski said. Charles Bukowski said, time races by like wild horses over the hills. <laughs> 
And, and you are right that many of us are just racing through our life, rushing through our life. The weeks, the days blend into each other and we look back and it's like, what happened? I want it back. I want a do-over. So I said Not to days, them, decades. Yeah, yeah. It's about days or weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If you're young, you don't understand this, but trust me, in 20, 30 years, you're gonna say the same thing. Oh my God, what happened? Yes. And and it's regret. We want it back, right? We want a do-over because then we realize how precious it was, or that we missed it, or that we so so I I told the boys when you're in the middle of a special moment, imprint it, imprint, imprint, imprint. Because Queen Elizabeth said, good memories are our second chance at happiness. And if we imprint in a moment, like right now, CK, if you and I imprint, how fortunate we are to do what we love with people we enjoy and respect and our minds are, are popping, you know, and it's, it's like maybe there's going to be someone out there in the middle of nowhere and they hear this and it's the right words at the right time and how grateful we are. If we just imprint it, we experience it more intensely and then we can revisit it anytime we want and re-experience it. So there's a saying that writers get to live life twice. And I really get, I believe we get to live life thrice if we do this, is that it makes us more alert and aware to those golden moments. Then when they happen, we imprint them, which means we live them more intensely in the moment. And then we get to come back and <laughs> revisit and relive them all over again. Life just keeps getting better and better and better if we imprint and imprint and imprint. So I'm going to drill in on that note real quick. Is there any specific techniques or rituals that you use to imprint it deeper? Some people say, you know, use some kind of a mudra thing or a journal thing, or, you know, in my case, I use uh, Zarokastan Rome. Have to share with you another time, but it's as a way to go deeper. So are there things that you do as a way to imprint? I'd love to answer that. And you said that you have a way. And may I hear your way first? Because I'd love to hear what you do. Sure. So recently, I came across a really beautiful philosophy about taking notes, because how we take notes is how we think. Hmm. And there is a beautiful uh, software called Rome Research. Wow. The combination of the two allow me and those who is really keen on self-discovery to go infinitely deep. Mm -hmm. No other modality that I've experimented search for could mm -hmm. do that. You know, see, I thank you for that because see, I'm with you is that, you know, we've all heard a thousand times at this point to write in a gratitude journal and we almost dismiss it in IR roles and we say, I know that. Well, as my dad used to say, just because something is common sense doesn't mean it's common practice. And the research is that kinesthetically writing something down imprints it in a way that's more vivid and intense and is more likely to be remembered. So, you know, I have a, a someday is not a day in the week journal. And, and Dale Carnegie said to live in day tight compartments. And I believe what was that word day tight, day tight compartments. Yeah. It's okay. like if you're in a ship, a tight compartment is one that won't leak, you know, that mm -hmm. that can be trusted. So his comment was to live in day tight compartments, meaning 
don't worry, don't regret yesterday and don't worry about tomorrow. Mm. Live in just today, right? Mm -hmm. I really believe in living in day right compartments. And mm. I believe if we even take three minutes at the beginning of the day to write something down that is our intention for the day, it becomes the lead domino of our day. So I have four C's <laughs> and this is my shortcut for my lead domino of, of a day tight, day right day. And so C is for contribute. What am I gonna contribute today? Where am I gonna add value? Hopefully make someone's life a little bit better, whether it's coaching or consulting or writing or whatever. Connect, who is someone inside and outside of my circle I'm gonna connect with? So whether I you know, do a FaceTime with uh, my grandson, Hero, Mickey and Andrew's son, or whether I get in touch with someone I haven't talked with in five years, I, it's that at the end of the day, I know I want to connect with someone in my circle and someone outside. The third is cavort. <laughs> what I was love the word? Cavort. Because word. cavort. And, and here is why. I have a friend, Nell Merlino, who started Take Our Daughters to Work Day. She lives in New York. And she, she goes walking in Central Park every single day. And she said, Sam, it's spring. It is the most glorious. Here are these flowering trees here. And you know what? Nine out of 10 people are on their cell phones. Or they're working out, good for them, doing their run, but it's gritted teeth, set set focus. So they're getting in their half hour, their hour workout, but they're not noticing anything. So have you heard of all walks, A-W-E, all walks? No. Oh boy, check the research on this, CK, is that you've heard of Shinrin-yoku, correct? Uh, forest bathing. You got it. Okay. So the, the Japanese are all up on Shinrin Yoku is force bathing. The science that says when we get in nature, that, that the trees and the woods and the green is feeding and fueling our spirit in tangible bottom line ways. And so when we, um, you're, so when we're talking about cavort is that when I go for a walk or a swim, I don't just like do my mile of laps. I don't just do my half hour, 45 hour walk. Hopefully I turn it into an awe walk and an awe swim. Mm. And how you do that is you notice and you pay attention. Mary Oliver said to pay attention is our endless and proper work. <laughs> mm. So when I say convert, Thich Nhat Hanh, I think you quoted him, didn't you? At the beginning of our talk. I don't think so, but thank no, you. Okay, okay, yes. <laughs> I wish I had. <laughs> thank you. He said, to walk as if your feet are kissing the earth. <laughs> and I'm not making this up, CK. When I walk, sometimes it's on a street or a sidewalk, but I, I deliberately move over to the grass and it's kiss the earth, kiss the earth, kiss the earth, kiss the earth mm. to mindfully become rooted and grounded and appreciative of being in nature instead of 10 more minutes and then I got to be back. <laughs> mm. So that was three C's? What was the ah, four? Oh, just seeing if you were paying attention. <laughs> the always, always. <laughs> the fourth one is clean. And I know that if I eat clean, if I eat uh, lean, green, and protein, that I feel better. That if, if I eat carbs, 
junk, junk, junk food, junk spirit, junk feelings. And so to me, clean is a minder of eat lean, clean and protein. Mm, I love this. Thank you. I know you didn't call them spiritual practices, but to me, they're <laughs> what that is. Because the old, ultimately, all these, you know, avocation, ability, adversity, attitude, uh, what was the first award? Um, avocation, yeah. ability, adversity, and attitude. No, the contribution. There you go. Oh, contribution. contribution. Um, and then connect, connect, covert, and clean. You and you also concretize it into the, the action that you actually take. To me, these are all ways that you're doing every day as a way to cultivate the wholeness of who you are. You know, thank you for for noticing that and saying that. Chuck Yeager was the first man to break the sound barrier, and he's a real aviation pioneer. And he was being interviewed about, you know, the roller coaster of of trying to break that record. And the reporter asked what he learned, and he thought about it for a moment. He said, at the moment of truth, there are either reasons or results. And I think at the moment of truth, there are regrets and results. Mm. And, and if we distill into four things and, and we start our morning, five minutes in the morning, here are my four things. Not only do we live in day tight compartments and day right compartments, I think that when we look back at that day, no matter what else happens, things go wrong, but we couldn't control it or we couldn't help it. If we do those four things to the degree possible, we're creating the quality of life that we want. Yeah. I mean, on this podcast, we talk a lot about atomic unit, hmm. right? What that means is if you want a great life, think about your year and reduce it down to a week, right? Reduce that down to a day. If you can, your day ultimately is the atomic unit of your life. Yeah. How do you go about design your day such that you feel fully alive, fully expanded, authentic self, on purpose, contribution, everything that you listed, right? Contribution, connect, avoid, and clean. And if we start there, then we have hope for the next day, for the next day, for the next week, for the next month, for the this for the for this year, for the for the upcoming decade, in the way that is aligned with our intention. You are a hundred percent right. Annie Diller said how we spend our days is of course how we spend our life. <laughs> so agreed. So I have a question for you because there, there is a school of thought. There's this whole movement around lifestyle design, right? Meaning whatever your idealized lifestyle is, design your ideal day hmm. and then go, go forth and do more of that, right? Everything that we just said. However, for those who uh, are still discovering, maybe they finished one phase of their life, they're moving to the next. They don't quite have that ritual of the ideal day look like yet. Is there anything that you can advise them in terms of looking for that idealized lifestyle, that ideal day? Hmm. You, you know, based on what you're saying, um, I here's just one thought about it. It's that uh, when I was on my year by the water, I interviewed people about uh, happiness. I said, are you happy? If so, why? And if not, why not? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I tried to keep track of the answers. And what I discovered really kind of surprised me. 
is that most of the people do not know what they want. If you say, what do you want? What is your ideal life? They can't tell you. And a lot of times CKs, because they're so doggone busy. I had, I had one guy, he's in his 30s. He's married, working full-time, has two kids. One has special needs. And when I asked him what his dream was, or as you would say, his ideal life, he looked at me and he said, I don't dream anymore. He said, mm. it's too painful. Mm. And the reality of his life is he, he usually does not get, he does not sleep through the night because of his, his kids and one of their needs. He's up by 6 a.m. no matter what. You know, he gets him off to school and, and then he's out of the house by 7.30, often doesn't get back until 6 or 7.30. His evenings are are taking care with chores and his family, et cetera. And it was like dream, ideal, idealized life get real. He said, you have no idea what my life is like. And I, I agreed. And so here's where I don't want to be a Pollyanna. I still believe though, that if we perceive that we do not have the time or the energy or the bandwidth or the money or whatever to set in motion, one thing we care about, one thing that puts the light in our eyes, that we are, we're living a life of self-sacrifice and that is a life of regrets. So one thought about that. Well, let me stop for a second because you may have thoughts about that. I mean, Thoreau said most people live lives of quiet desperation. I think that is the self-sacrificing life. This, you know, my life is about whatever my responsibility is. Then they sacrifice themselves. And to me, what's it all for if not for joy? Because I've lived that life and... <laughs> All right, yes. and it was miserable, <laughs> even though I accomplished a lot of things. It's just not worth it for me. So, and, and now I'm looking at how can I, first and foremost, come from a space of self-sufficiency. Then I can give my best self to whoever that I interact, and still enjoy my life. Anyways, that's my second see, response. You know, see, you you are unpacking you know, I believe how we can get crystal clear about what's important to us and then take responsibility for setting it in motion now, not someday. And I'm not being unrealistic. I'm not talking about abandoning your responsibilities, you know, uh, quitting your job, doing anything drastic. I'm just talking about starting with clarity about one thing that would give you that ikigai on top of all the responsibilities and then to do it now, not later. So we want, do we have time to do two quick, uh, actually exercises that can help set that in motion? Oh, my time is your time. You, <laughs> we can go as long as you want. <laughs> of course okay. we have time. Yes, let's go. Okay. So first let me share the where story that I will always be grateful to my college philosophy professor. Cause we walked into our first day of class and he said, we are going to talk about Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, but first, you're going to come up with your philosophy. And he said, I want you to think about why you're here and what you want to do with your life. And then I want you to distill it in a 100 word or less mission statement. Well, CK, you know, come on. I was what, 18 at the time? 
coming up with my mission statement was not my priority at the time. Thank you to that, that philosophy professor. I spent a week thinking, okay, what really matters to me? What is a good life? What do I hope to achieve and accomplish? And I came up with a mission statement and I crafted it until I wouldn't change a word. And writers know that when you wouldn't change a word, it's right. And I haven't changed a word of it since. Wow. I've been a North Star all my life. You ready for it? I want, of course, I want to hear it. <laughs> okay. I am here to make a positive difference for as many people as possible while maintaining a healthy, happy lifestyle with friends and family. That's it. Mm -hmm. So see, the first step is, if we can't state why we're here, if we don't have a mission statement, we don't have a map. <laughs> you know, life is just happening to us. We're getting knocked around or it's not what we want or whatever. And we don't have our clear North Star. So actually, hopefully, if maybe people already have one. And now here's the thing. We either keep it up here where it's accessible in a moment's notice. So it's a mental and an emotional and heartfelt North Star or we post it where it's in sight, in mind, and top of mind, because mm. it helps us make decisions that are congruent and in alignment with why we're here, right? Mm. I love that. Do you have your mission statement? I don't have it off the top of my head. Okay, but and you've crafted it. Is it written down somewhere? Or? Of course, yes. Good. Yeah. Is it posted somewhere? It's accessible. It's right next. It's it actually, you know what? I have my uh, 2021 CPR right next to me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to give you an example of, of why it's important to keep this well in front of us. Sound good? Mm -hmm. Of course. Is that, uh, I'm going to tiptoe around this. Just suffice it to say that I was nominated to be on a board. I went through the whole process, et cetera, and they offered me the position. At which time we got into the weeds a little bit about what was going to be required on this board. Now, the four weekends a year absolutely could do that. However, it was a little bit gray because they they said that that probably be on one or two committees and there, a month and there'd be a lot of engagement. Well, CK, this for me is red flag, red flag, red flag, because my I've been there. You've been there, too where I'm spending a lot of time in committee meetings where we're spinning our meals, wheels that there's, you know, there's open-ended emails before and after. What do you think about this? There's politics, there's drama. CK, that's not why I'm here. Is that why you're here? Absolutely not. You know, other board candidates verbatim said they're because they're building this into a billion dollar company. They said, we will do anything it takes. Guess what, CK? That's not in my mission statement. Is that in your mission statement? Nope. Yeah. So do you see how my clarity about that helped me turn down, which would have been very prestigious, lucrative kind of thing. However, I was real clear, not in alignment with the quality of life. You know, Henry David Thoreau said the cost of anything is the amount of life exchanged for it. So see, time spent on those committee meetings and on those drama and so forth would have been taken right away with time in that pool, time with my sons and their families, right? Mm. Not a good trade. 
Well, I want to actually first commend you for having that crystal clarity at 18. That's really impressive. Precocious, impressive, impossible. <laughs> that's like, that's amazing because, yeah, I mean, how did you get to that level of crystal clarity for you? Hmm. Well, once again, props to the philosophy professor for, and I wish I remembered his name. I could probably go back and look it up and reach out to him and thank him for that. So he was the catalyst for that. And you're asking such an interesting question. And I think it comes from three places. Number one, I grew up in a very small town, more horses than people. And uh, even when I was eight years old, my sister was nine, we would be gone on our horses all day long. This is before cell phones. And our parents, they didn't worry and they didn't warn us. They didn't warn us about stranger danger or what if something went wrong and fill us with fear. They seemed to trust that if something went wrong, we would figure it out. Bridal breaks, figure it out. Get bucked off, figure it out. So guess what, CK? My sister and I grew up seeing it as an adventurous world and not a dangerous world. And instead of worrying that something might go wrong, we kind of expect that things will go wrong. And when they do, we'll get resourceful and we'll figure them out. So I think that is, that's one thing that went into that mission statement is, is the, and the second thing is, is that um, we would go visit our grandmother for holidays and she lived in Los Angeles. And if the weather was good, we'd go out inside and play with our cousins. If the weather was bad, we were banished to the back porch and there were stacks of Reader's Digest. Mm. <laughs> and and back then Reader's Digest had first person accounts of the person you know who fought off the bear. You know, they had, they were about individuals with character and integrity and service. And I think it embedded in me clarity that I wanted to focus on what mattered in the long run. And mm. this is a while back. I remember reading an article and it had um, like a drawing of a woman washing dishes at her kitchen window with a, a curtain and two kids out flying a kite. And she told the story about how she is, you know, doing the dishes and so forth. And her sons come in and say, mom, come out and fly our kite with us. And she turned them down because she had chores to do. Mm. And one of them was killed in a car accident. Mm. And that she just wants that day back, CK. She wants to say yes. And at, a, at an impressionable age, that instilled in me this awareness that the clock is ticking. And how can we make decisions that we know in our soul are right and that acknowledge that, as the Buddha said, the thing is we think we have time and that, and that we will not regret because we did what mattered in the moment instead of thinking, I've got chores I can't. Yeah. And Sam, I'm looking at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk to you for hours, seriously. <laughs> oh man, do we have some time for um, some rapid fire, perhaps? Absolutely. Uh, but I really would love to round two to get even more philosophical about what you're describing, because I think um, the law of impermanence. 
that's the law. Mm -hmm. And if we can really get present to that, instead of thinking about, you know, the past or the future, that's, they're all illusory, right? They're, they're not real. So the more we can be present, you know, one of the most recent thing that I contemplate on is how can I go deeper inward? And how can I be more fearless outward? And the way to do that in my mind is to go infinitely deep in the way that I analyze my thoughts and whatever barriers that I have to dissolve it such that when I'm public, I can be more fearless in the way that I speak. Mm. So, hmm. you know, I, I, I am going to be your champion to write uh, a book, CK, because, and I, you know, I'll admit I'm partial. It's just, uh, Paulo Coelho said that one day we're going to wake up and there won't be any time left to do the things we've always wanted to do. And I really believe that we need thoughtful people like you in the world who are going first and who are setting an example of, of being present and mindful and being clear about what matters because it's not the norm. The norm is scrolling social media and looking at so-and-so in Hawaii and thinking, why are they in Hawaii? And I'm not in Hawaii or like something. FOMO, FOMO, yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's like, and our th our thought time, our mind time is is essentially how we spend our days in our life. So, so you writing, you want to go deeper. And we talked about the kinesthetic impact of mulling and writing and expressing and getting in a flow state where what comes out of you is better than how you know. At Maui Writers Conference, our most left brain people all talked about this mystical aspect of writing. Barbara Kingsolver said she couldn't wait to wake up and come downstairs to find what her characters had to say. Mm. So part of you going deeper and part of you doing so as a messenger, not from ego, as an offering, is that if you set this in motion in writing, the, the alchemy and the amalgamation of your experiences and your insights are going to start flowing through you so fast your fingers won't be able to keep up. It will be an exultant experience. And furthermore, then you get to share it so that people are out there in their world and they're just trying to pay the bills or, or they've got everything they thought they wanted and it's still not enough. And then they, they stumble upon your work and mm -hmm. it it opens their eyes and their hearts to a different way. Thank you. I'll definitely take that on. You know, part of the ethos of Noble Warrior is to highlight the different lives and the stories and life choices that these multidimensional entrepreneurs, such as yourself, make the kind of decisions that they make so then they can maximize and optimize mm -hmm. success, whatever that means for them and fulfillment, whatever that means for them. Mm -hmm. and then such that give people a glimpse of possibility of light that, Hey, if Sam can do it, if CK can do it, if so-and-so can do it, so can I, I'm going to now go inward and unleash my light and shine my light such that other people, as you said, right, discover their gifts and give it away. So see, look at the one plus one equals 11 alchemy of those words, noble warrior. So what does noble mean to you? Our higher self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So our highest self, noble, 
What does warrior mean to you? The willingness to lean into the discomfort to dissolve any kind of barriers mm -hmm. so that I can be my high self. See, and I imagine you're familiar with the E.E. E. Cummings quote that says to be yourself in a world that's trying all day, every day to turn you into someone else is the hardest fight you're ever going to fight and keep on fighting. That's mm -hmm. a noble warrior, right? Your highest self and that it, it's not automatic and it's not easy. It takes persevering and clarity and, and uh, encountering obstacles and holding the vision and not the circumstances. So noble warrior really is your life's work, isn't it? It humbles me to say yes. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those things that logically doesn't make any sense for me to do this. <laughs> but spiritually thus it's super fulfilling and i have already gotten some positive um callbacks from people whose life we have saved because someone was talking about suicide or suicide thoughts they had yeah. and someone else was listening and yeah. said thank you so much i choose not to with my plan so already we've saved a life minimally hmm. so you know cck this is I call this the creative's conundrum. From the beginning of time, artists, you know, have had to quote unquote pay the bills, so to speak. They want to do their art, but then they got commissioned by the king, you know, et cetera. And you said something about logically, it may not make sense to do this. However, spiritually it does. This I believe is one of the biggest uh, conundrums and then commitments of an artist or creative or a noble warrior is to be clear that what will matter in the long run, you will never regret doing this, will you, CK? No, not by it. I'm, yeah, I'm so glad I did it. And I'm so glad I'm doing it. And I will continue to do it. And Noble Warrior has been a path that I never knew I wanted, but I love it so much. <laughs> because it is this, that it is this coalescing of your beliefs and uh your gifts and contribution and your work and you know that's the Catherine graham of the washington post said to do what you love and feel that it matters how could anything be more fun well the mm -hmm. only thing that's more fun is to do what you love and feel that it matters and do it with people you enjoy and respect that's what you're doing yes uh last question would be in terms of finding people mentors advisors mm -hmm. what's mm -hmm. what's your perception or what's your advice around finding others like you huh well number use the three a's approach so mm -hmm. quick story uh jack canfield and i were talking about this one time because uh jack had given a you know seek um chicken soup for the soul success secrets etc so success principles so someone uh, was right in the front row of Jack's program and came up to him afterwards. And he said, she said, I want to write a book and I want to. And, and this was before Jack had a car service. And he said, well, I need to be in the airport an hour and a half. If you want to give me a ride to the airport, you can pick my brain on the way. So she did. And he never heard from her again. And mm -hmm. like a few years later, he's given a program. There she is in the front row again. So at break, he, you know, she comes up to him and he says, well, how's that book coming along? She said, oh, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Mm. And Jack and I agreed that to the that that to the degree we give favors 
is to the degree we believe that they will act on them and put them in, in action in a way that serves other people, not just themselves. Mm -hmm. So your question was, how do we find a mentor? So you find someone who you admire and respect. You admire their talents and their achievements and the integrity with which they show up and their humility. So it is both the professional aspect of their achievement and it's also the personal side of their integrity. And then when you approach them, the first thing you say is, I know you're busy and may I have three minutes of your time? Because it is so presumptuous to just walk up to people and assume that they have the time and the incentive to mm. uh, support us or listen to us or endorse us or whatever. So I know you're busy and may I have three minutes of your time. Mm. Then we ask a specific question. If you had one piece of advice about how to do this or what I ought to do in this situation, what might that be? Mm. And then we keep the contract of the mentor, which is A, it's ask, A, mm. act, and A, appreciate. And then mm. we get back in touch with that person. And we say, I want to thank you again for taking the time to recommend this. Or thank you so much for doing this. And as a result, this is what happened. That's quid pro quo, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, the biggest payoff for any kind of advice that people give is the success, whatever who's taking the advice. Because like you said, most people, 99% of the people, even people who pay you as your client, they don't necessarily take the advice per se. So yes, the, one of the biggest satisfaction is that people actually change and transform their life based on the yeah. ideas you're giving them. And see, this this is this is the once again, it's quid pro quo. It's mutually rewarding. I really do believe we can walk up to almost anyone. And as we already committed, I will ask something precise, something small, like one piece of advice, five minutes of your time or something like that. And then we assure them that we will act on it. You know, maybe we won't do it verbatim. However, as a result of it, we take an action that we wouldn't have taken otherwise. And then we get back in touch and let them know, you know, what happened as a result of it. You know, that's that is this lovely exchange that almost anyone will be glad to do because it's a win-win. Yeah. Sam, I could talk to you for hours. Literally love to just jam. Uh, you, when I visit Austin or when you come to California, I love to hang in person. Uh, I just really want to take a couple of minutes to really acknowledge you. Just the way you show up, the way that you bring your wisdom and break it down into actionable tactics that people can actually do and say and practice. I think for the discerning listener out here, uh, definitely try on some of these disciplines and tactics as a way to re-architect your life, right? So then you can live a more present, live a more aware, live a more um, intentional life. And then from the small to the day, to the week, to the month and so forth. So thank you so much for just being willing to dance with me in this conversation. I, I've enjoyed every minute. I'm already looking forward to next time, CK.